Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, today I wanted to talk about, or actually I'm going to do a series about um, the book of Daniel. Okay, the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is in the Old Testament, and actually the book of Daniel is about a uh, history of um, the Israelite people. The Israelite people went to exile. Okay, they were taken away from uh, their land in Israel and they had to go to the city or a country called Babylon, okay? And the, um, the exile is, or the story of Daniel is the story of, uh, of, of their exile. For most of us, I think we've never actually had to experience something like that, like being uprooted from our house, taking from somewhere that we don't know to a new place and all this kind of stuff is something like foreign or different to us. So it's something that maybe we'll never experience, like an empire from a faraway land invades your city, tells their people to go to another place. You can just imagine that sort of scenario, how it would feel. And that's exactly the scenario that the four people that really the book of Daniel focuses on is talking about. And the four people in the book of Daniel, do we know who the four people in the book of Daniel are that are really the main characters of Daniel? It's, it's Daniel himself and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? These are his four, uh, his four friends. As a whole, the whole book is about sort of their struggles living uh, in uh, a foreign land, okay? Living in a different place. And actually the four, the four people were, they weren't just like nobodies, they were, they were privileged people. They were people who were living in, uh, in Israel were like, they, they were like important people even in Israel. So since they were important people in Israel, they became important people even in Babylon. So it's not like they were nobodies. But what is essentially the book of Daniel about? The book of Daniel essentially is about a question that I think is important for us all to explore, okay? Important for us to all to explore. The book of Daniel is sort of the story of how do I conduct myself in a place where um, the culture around me, the people around me, society around me says something different than my faith, okay? That's what the book of Daniel is about. Do you think we can relate to that or not? Definitely. Do you think that's relevant to us or not? For sure. For sure it's relevant. They have like a dominant culture, a different language, a different value system, a political system, and they're working to maintain their faith against all of this. You know, it reminds me sort of like um, if you're swimming like in a river. If you have like a really small river or if you ever go like um, Anybody ever go canoeing like on rapids, like in a, whatever. So when you go in, in the rapids, because it's thin, you can see the water is moving like super fast, you know? And so if you go in the middle of the rapids, you know you have to swim hard to go kind of against the flow of the water. But then imagine yourself, like if you were, like I'm from, I'm from Wisconsin and I lived close to the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River is a huge river. If I look at the Mississippi River, what does it look like? What does it look like as far as the current? How does the current look? What do you think? How does the current look? No, so the current is like, it looks, if you look at the river, it sort of doesn't look fast. It doesn't look that fast because it's big. Okay, and so because it's big, it doesn't, you know. But if you go st stand in the middle of it, like you go wait out in the middle of it, you're going to have to push really, really hard to kind of go against it. And actually, even if you're a really super good swimmer, you could have, you're eventually going to get tired and be taken away by the current. 
And actually, the worst thing is sometimes I could be swimming against the current, but the current is going faster. So I'm actually, even though I think I'm swimming against the current, I'm moving, I'm going, right? And so this is sort of what uh, the story or the book of Daniel is about, how to go sort of against the green, how to go against the current, how to go against um, everything that's sort of around, uh, around the people. Because if you think about it, if you imagine the, the analogy of the river, if I, what sort of effort does it take for me to just be carried away by the current? Nothing. It doesn't take me any effort to be carried away by the current. What effort does it take for me to just to stay, to stay still, to not move? Lots of effort. It takes me lots of effort. And what kind of effort does it take for me to move like against the current? Even more. Even more. Okay? So the question of the book of Daniel is what does it mean to remain faithful to God in a new and in a foreign culture where everything is sort of working against them. The currents and the pressures are pushing you sort of to compromise, to abandon your faith. And this is the struggle that Daniel had. This is the struggle that Daniel's friends had. And actually the same struggle that the early uh, followers of Jesus had, right? In the early times of Christianity. In Christianity, in the beginning, when Christianity started, was Christianity persecuted or welcomed? Persecuted, for sure, it was persecuted. So like they had to go against the current of the Roman Empire. So I have a question before I start talking about Daniel. Is it easy to be a follower of Jesus? Is it easy to be a follower of Jesus? No, you think no. But didn't Christ say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Is it easy to follow Jesus? Yes or no? He said, you'll be hated and persecuted for my sake. The book of Daniel actually teaches us that really the answer is no. It's not easy. And the instant that my answer is yes, what does that say? What do you think that would say? If I, if I stop myself, yeah, it's pretty easy. It's easy to be a Christian. Easy to follow Jesus. What might that say about my life? Hmm. Maybe I'm Christian by name, right? I'm Christian by name. Christian by, like, maybe I, this is where I spend a couple hours on Sunday, right? But I'm not really actually Christian. The moment I'm comfortable with my Christianity is the moment I'm certainly not really, like, following Him faithfully. Because, yes, it's hard following our Lord Jesus Christ living in a culture and a time where everybody is telling you the opposite. So that's why the book of Daniel is super powerful and super relevant for, for us. How can I navigate this sort of knife edge between faithfulness and living in a culture that does not belong to me? What are some solutions to that? What do you think? What are my options? If I live in a culture that is going against my belief system, what are my options? could I do? I can distance myself from the culture, right? Actually, St. Basil had this idea. He said, like, as Christians, we should form Christian cities, live in Christian communities, stay away from people, so that we can be kind of like this holy light to the rest of the world. What do you think about that idea? Good idea, bad idea? Realistic, not realistic? Not practical in our world, right? Okay. So what's our choice then? What do we do? 
Daniel and his friends give us sort of the blueprint, how do I live my life faithful to God and within a culture that is kind of going against, uh, going against what I believe. If you remember Daniel chapter 1, anybody remember what Daniel chapter 1 is about? Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is about a big fight between Daniel and the king about food. A big fight with Daniel and the king about food. And so Daniel says, I got to eat my food. And uh, the king says, no, you have to eat my food. And they had this big sort of um, fight about what food they should eat. And in the end, Daniel won this fight. He was able to eat the food that he wanted to eat. And it turned out for them uh, to be that they were healthy and happy and everything was okay. Uh, and so they won sort of the battle, but that was just sort of round one. And if you think about it, like in Daniel, you can think after that chapter, after he won that victory, you think to himself, this is going to be my entire life. Every time I turn around, there's going to be something that is sort of saying, I have to go against this. I have to go against this green. I have to do this thing differently. I have to do it in a different way. So what am, how am I supposed to live in this sort of culture? And so the question that I want to ask, I'll ask you guys and we'll see what the answer is in the book of Daniel. What is or what on earth is going to fuel and motivate long-term faithfulness over the course of a whole life? What's going to motivate long-term faithfulness over the course of a whole life? What's going to motivate that for us? Because I know many of you have like friends, people at school, co-workers, whatever, who think you are crazy for being a Christian. I think it's stupid for you to believe in Christ, to follow his teachings. And that sort of um, kind of can grind on you or grate on you as, as life goes on. How do I say to myself, okay, I'm going to continue and be faithful? Keep an eye on the goal. Okay, that's a good idea. What else? How can I remain faithful? How do I not kind of like, okay, enough's enough. I should just go with the flow. I'm tired of swimming against that current. Perspective. Very good. Okay. So we're going to read from the book of Daniel. If you want, you can pull out your Bibles. We're going to read Daniel chapter 2. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled that his sleep left him. And the king gave command to call the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dreams. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, O king, live forever. He says, tell, the, the, the servants say, tell your servants the dream, and we're going to tell you the interpretation. It's a reasonable request. You tell me the dream, I'm going to tell you what it means. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your house shall be made of ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Man, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed today, right? Nebuchadnezzar is just saying, I had a dream, and it wasn't a good dream, and I want you to tell me the dream, and tell me the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Right? It's not, a, it's not a good day if you're a wise man in the, in, in the country of Babylon. But you can understand, the book of Daniel is trying to, to, to illustrate something to us. That this person, King Nebuchadnezzar, is so intoxicated with his power, 
that he can wake up mad or wake up grumpy and heads are gonna roll. People will die because I'm in a bad mood. This is Babylon. So they answered and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll give his interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests. There is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. For this reason the king was very angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So why are they looking for Daniel and his companions? Because he worked as one of the wise men, okay? So they're saying, okay, nobody can figure this out. Okay, I'm the king. I've decided I'm going to kill all of my wise men because they're not as wise as I thought they were. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? So Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So a practical lesson from this story, if royal assassins come and try to kill you, speak to them with wisdom and with counsel, right? He spoke to them with wisdom and with counsel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, that's the same people are Shadrach, Ab uh, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, uh, that they may seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. It says, Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Pay attention in your Bible. If you're looking in your Bible, on your phone or wherever you're looking on your Bible, does your phone have your Bible, have, have these verses, these next verses written sort of in a different, like indented differently than the rest of your Bible or no? Not in Coptic reader? It should be indented differently in, in your book, in your Bible, or if you're reading your Bible, like if I'm reading my Bible from my Bible app. And the reason is because what Daniel is about to say is poetry. Okay? It's a poetry. It's a poem. And, and, and I, I just want to teach you guys something about reading the Bible in general. Whenever I'm listening to uh, 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 or reading a, a book and I find a poetry in the middle of a narrative, I need to pay attention. I need to read it like three or four times. I need to sit with it like for 10 minutes and then go and read it again because the, the author is trying to tell you something important. Okay? This book is sort of like, you can imagine it's like a musical, right? Like they have the narrative and there's talking and whatever. And then Daniel is about to break out in song. This is like an important part of the story. So what does Daniel like sing about? What is he saying? He says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and, in and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, have, known, may, have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. What's significant about this song or this poem that Daniel is saying? What is he saying? Daniel is reminded in these verses who is really in control of history. Right? He says, blessed be the name of God forever. For wisdom and might are his. He removes kings. He raises kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. 
So we'll continue with the story. Therefore, Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men. He went and said to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And so he quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found many, a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said, Whose name was, what is, what is, the king, what is Daniel called? Belteshazzar. Okay, so he took on Babylonian names. So they had Babylonian names. They worked. What was their job? Who did they work for? The government. They worked for the government that put them in exile. And they took Babylonian names. Okay? He says, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered and said in the presence of the king, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. But... There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and your visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, we have made known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And now he starts to explain the dream. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Then a stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So Daniel will start to explain the dream. And he's saying in the dream, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is the head of gold. How does King Nebuchadnezzar feel so far about the dream? Pretty good, right? I'm the head of gold. I'm king of the world. I'm at the top. Yes. Huh? I just read verse number 38. I'm about to read 39. But after you, this is Daniel's explaining, after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another kingdom, a third of bronze, which shall rule over the earth, and a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and yet the strength of iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king who will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. I don't know if you ever noticed, I'm sure some of you have read this story before. And you know this story. Daniel gave the dream 
and gave the interpretation. He did not, after he gave the dream, he did not wait for the king to say, yes, this was the right dream. Right? He gave the dream and the interpretation right away. So you can imagine, Daniel is going on faith, saying this was actually the dream. So what's going to happen? Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I fell, fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that he should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many gifts, made him ruler over the province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but, da but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Okay, what does this story have to do with anything? What does this story have to do with anything? It's a great story to, to like point out that Daniel is praying to God and gives him the ability to interpret dreams. But is this is what what is the take home for us? Does it mean I should go, you know ask God to reveal to me the dream of the mayor of Nashville so I can go to him and impress him with my dream interpreting skills and he can make me sort of ruler over uh, I don't know some small borough or city in Nashville, part of Nashville. What's happening here? The question is a question of Daniel and his friends, they're in the minority, but now their life is woven into the culture in the city of Babylon. They find themselves, and they find themselves in these very difficult situations. They're about to die. And how do I remain faithful to God in those situations? You know, they say to themselves, you know, it's not a big deal. I can dress like a Babylonian. I can learn the language of Babylon. I can maybe uh, do some of the things. I can work for the government in Babylon. But, okay, there's certain moments, like with the food, I had to say no. There's certain times that I have to stop. I have to take a stand. I can't fully assimilate myself because, or other, otherwise, I'm swimming downstream. So what vision of the world... Like I said in the beginning, what vision of the world is going to fuel and empower the faithfulness and keep us faithful in a world that is going against us, current is going against us? That's what actually this chapter is about. How can I, what gives me the power to remain faithful, constantly remain faithful in a place where the culture is telling me to go in a completely different direction? Who is... The king of the world according to the dream and the interpretation. Who is the real king of the world according to the dream and the interpretation? Hmm? The God of Daniel. The God of Daniel is the real king of the world. The God of heaven and earth. So it's interesting that Babylon and the king of Babylon gets called in the chapter. He says, you are the king of kings. That's what he says about the, the king in Babylon. He says, you are the king of kings. Daniel says, God made you the king of kings. And some of you, if you've read your Bible before or heard anything in the Bible, say king of kings. That sounds like something familiar. Who is the king of kings? God, right? But Daniel calls Babylon the Babylonian king. You are the king of kings. But Daniel says, God is the one who raises up kings and brings them down. So God is the true king of history. And there are other gods under the authority of God. And King Nebuchadnezzar is one of them. So, you know, like, he was really excited by the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar. But basically what he just got reminded is, he's not as big of a deal as he thought he was. 
You'll see it next week when he, he will forget. He'll forget this lesson. But at this moment, right now, in chapter two, at the end, when he bows in front of Daniel and says, "Your God is the true God of heaven and earth," he he realizes, "I am not really. I'm good, but I'm not that good. There's somebody greater than me with more authority than me." So the thing that is going to keep me faithful in, 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 in the midst of a culture or a current that is moving me in another different direction is that the culture and the nature in which Daniel and the culture and the nature in which I find myself is not God. Is not God. Babylon might be a wonderful place. I have a lot of good, really nice things. You could have lots of cool food and nice things to see and a beautiful, you know, uh, geography. But not everything is under the king's authority as he thinks it is. The great king of the kings, Nebuchadnezzar, is not the true king. He is an image of the king. He's an image of the king. Think about what the dream is about. It says that it's an image or a statue, and some translation says image. This is, the, this is the author, this is Daniel, giving us hints and clues for us to see what's happening. Because it's a part of a bigger unified story of the Bible. The, the, there's a theme here that Daniel's trying to, anybody who is Jewish who would know the readings of, or the, the Old Testament should be thinking about something else when they read this dream and this interpretation. Think of it, can you think, I will give a nice big prize to someone who can think of another place in your Bible where we hear about images of God ruling the world. Images of God ruling the world. Because that was the dream and the interpretation, right? The image of the image of this statue, and he's ruling, and the head is Nebuchadnezzar of gold. What is Daniel trying to point anybody who would read this book to? Not with Pharaoh. That's a good. That's a good guess. Okay, let me let me ask the question very. Just listen to the question carefully. Maybe someone who's really paying attention can get it. Another place in the Bible where images of God are ruling the world. No, images of God are ruling the world. How about the beginning of the Bible? How about the beginning in Genesis? You said that? I didn't hear you. Yeah, Genesis. You're right. <laughs> You're right. In the beginning, let me hear. Let me let me read for you uh, a part from Genesis. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. You remember the interpretation of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. He said, told that God made him the head and the ruler of everything. Everything was in Nebuchadnezzar's hands. He gets to rule humanity. He even says the same thing about the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Nebuchadnezzar rules everything. Why is that important? Why are we talking about that? We're talking about that so when we hear the vision of the image of God 
Like when we think about it now, when I say that we're, we're made in God's image, what do we mean? What do we think about when we say we're, the ima- we're, we're created in the image of God? What do we usually think about? I say I'm made in the image of God. Yeah, our nature, our free will, the things that we are, right? But so in Genesis chapter 1, what is he actually saying? He's saying that you are the image of God. You, by virtue of being a human, are the image of God. You are my images. The image of God is not like something that humans possess. It's something that humans are. Okay? And so, what is the job of the image of God, according to Genesis chapter 1? To rule. To rule. Right? He says that he should rule, have dominion. If you think about the word to rule, like that's not a word or concept we even really use in a regular, on a regular basis. Like if I was like the manager of a restaurant, I wouldn't be like saying, I, I rule Subway, right? We'd say, I manage it. <laughs> right? you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say that you rule it. You know, you might, your coworkers might think you do, but you know, that's not how you would, you would even say it. But the idea has to do with ruling. God creates this world, packs it with full of potential and opportunity and all these really good things. And God rules the world by doing what? Appointing His images to rule the world. And then what does man do? They start organizing themselves into communities and they start like making structures. And what inevitably happens? We have groups of people who are in charge and those groups of people have biases and they want their group to be successful and that may come at the expense of the other group and, and things start to get corrupted. That's what happens when human beings get placed in the role. When we get elevated in levels or places of responsibility. And this will happen actually to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Daniel is trying to say is happening to Nebuchadnezzar. All of this is depicted in or as an image. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about all human kingdoms and it's symbolized in an image, a human image. And the image though is gone wrong because when this king, for example, wakes up in a bad mood, what happens? People die. His demand and people die. So that's how like strange and messed up and screwed up his rule has become. But that is the same in the story of human history. And that, that, that's what Daniel chapter 2 is about. That the human image of God, the human image of God in, in the world has become idolatrous, has become an exaltation of power and selfishness. And who is the head of the idol? Nebuchadnezzar, a guy who wakes up greedy and people die. And so what is the king reminded of? He's reminded, first of all, that yeah, he may be king of the world or king of his world, but he's not the true king. His kingdom, he has an exalted kingdom, but he's exalted himself to the status of idolatry. And it's going to continue on, actually, you'll see in the story. And his kingdom is going to, what God is trying to tell him is his kingdom is going to come down. God gave you, Nebuchadnezzar, dominion over humanity. He gave you control over the birds. He gave you control over the sky. He gave you control over all these lands and all these people. And what's going to happen is to follow is from Babylon comes a train of human history going worse and worse and worse, going from gold to silver to bronze to iron to clay. Is this good news or bad news for Daniel? The interpretation of the dream. For him it's good news. Right? This kingdom 
that looks all-powerful, that is in complete control, the interpretation of the dream says, not really. There is somebody else in control. There's somebody else in control. That's the main point of like, how can I remain faithful? How can I remain faithful in a place or in a culture where some, I'm, I'm having to go against the grain? You know, like when you think about like technology, when you have a phone and you want to get like a new phone, what stops you or allows you to wait from getting a new phone is when you know another one is coming out. So like, you know, I would never buy an iPhone, but if an iPhone is coming out, you know, it's, it, maybe it's coming out next, you know, it's coming out in like a month. So because it's coming out in a month, I wouldn't buy the current one. It's like, no, I can wait, right? I'll wait till the new one comes out and then I'll buy it. It's the same thing. And actually fashion is the same way, right? It's easy to resist fashion trends sometimes because you know, okay, this is a fad and it's going away, right? Somebody starts wearing ridiculous things and it becomes really popular. But you know, okay, eventually it's going to go away and people are just going to wear normal things again. It's just, the problem is it's never done. And what Daniel is trying to cultivate is this mindset that this is actually all of human history. Anytime God's people get too comfortable tying their identity to a certain nation or a certain kingdom, they need to watch out. That's the compromise. That's the way they can get carried away downstream. And then ultimately the kingdom, the human kingdoms, come to an end. The human kingdoms eventually come to an end. The rock that destroys them. We're told that the rock is, is God's kingdom. We know that from the church fathers that the interpretation of the rock is Christ himself. And God's kingdom comes, decimates all the human kingdoms, and it turns into this huge mountain. I don't know if you think that would be good news or not. For Nebuchadnezzar, it's not good news. But if you're Daniel, you know you're thinking, well, human beings have screwed up. We've messed up the world. We haven't done a good job. But God is going to come and he's going to remove all the evil and set up his own kingdom. That's good news. You know actually who thought the book of Daniel was very important and interesting? Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he quotes from the book of Daniel a lot. If you read the book of Matthew, he quotes from it and he takes language from it. He calls himself the son of man. That's coming from the book of Daniel. And actually... You guys have heard of the, there's a historian called Josephus. He writes about the history of the Jews. Did you know that after our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, there was a big revolt in Israel against the Roman army. And they tried to become their own independent kingdom. And actually, they used verses from the Bible to, to prove that they, need to, they needed to revolt. What verses did they use? Daniel chapter 2. The Jewish people looked at Daniel chapter 2 and they said, See, this kingdom that is exalted needs to be destroyed by God. And the Jewish people were like, well, we're happy to help. You know, we're doing our duty to help God destroy the kingdom. So this chapter inspired revolution. Because if you're waiting for God's kingdom to come, you think to yourself, yeah, well, I can help sort of push it along. And actually, this is the main theme of God's or Christ's ministry. When he rode into Jerusalem... It was a public way of asserting what? That he's a king. That he has a kingdom. He's bringing God's kingdom. But then what did he do? What did our Lord Jesus Christ do after he proceeded to go into Jerusalem as a king? He goes into the city and does stuff that nobody is expecting him to do. He's healing people. He's condemning religious leaders. 
They conspired to murder him. You know, today actually in the gospel, and this morning, if anybody attended any liturgy in the morning, uh, in John chapter 16, a very famous verse, he says, uh, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Right? It's a very famous verse. A lot of people know it. So it's written in John, John chapter 16. This is the last, uh, sort of the last uh, speeches that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the disciples. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then what does he do? Goes to be crucified. It doesn't look very overcoming, right? He says, I've overcome the world. And then I go and be crucified. You know, if you're the disciples, you're going like, Nah, it doesn't really make sense. Jesus says he's conquering the world, and then right from going those, saying those words, he goes into the garden and gets arrested. And then after he gets arrested, he goes to the Roman soldiers and he gets beaten. Is this what conquering the world looks like? When does Jesus become king of the world? When does he get his crown? Crown of thorns. When does he receive his robe? from the soldiers who are beating him. When does he get to sit on his throne? In the cross, on the cross. This is what he's trying to say. He's saying that the way that our Lord Jesus Christ is gonna bring that smashing rock to the kingdom, the human kingdoms, is a paradox to people of that day and is still a paradox to us. St. Paul says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He had a fundamentally different vision of the world. This is the Christian story. This is God's kingdom. And so we look through the book of Daniel. What does faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ look like? Because it's not going to mean that we completely reject the culture. It's impossible for us to do that. We find ourselves in a certain kingdom. We find ourselves in a certain place. But the place doesn't define us. Doesn't define our identity. Doesn't define our value system. It doesn't mean either that we try to take over the world and force everybody to become Christians. That's not the path. That's not the path what Christ did. That's not what Daniel did in the book of Daniel. But actually the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 2 especially is trying to start to teach us what is the pressure points in our lives where it's most difficult to be faithful like Christ. Where like in the beginning, you could maybe be like, yeah, it's a good idea, I can follow Christ, I'm totally on board. And then you read something that Jesus says or Jesus does, and you say, oh, that's kind of hard. I don't want to do that. That's going to be difficult. That's going to be a lot of going against the stream. And what can motivate me or push me to continue to go against this stream is that what I think is important, what I think are the authority now, is not going to be there forever. There's going to be a greater authority. There's something above the authority of the kingdoms, the people like Nebuchadnezzar, the images that we've built up for ourselves. We'll see in the next couple chapters in the book of Daniel how the people um, continue to have to, to swim upstream, to work hard to go against the current of, of, the, of the society, by, not by isolating themselves, but by working within the culture that they live and still maintaining their faithfulness to God. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.